just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. Utah's annual legislative session is over. In 45 days, our legislators passed 575 bills and a $29 billion budget. So we're breaking down how it all impacts your life over two episodes with Fox 13's Ben Winslow. In part one, we covered the Great Salt Lake, liquor laws, and health care. Today is part two, housing, homelessness, our cost of living, and the proposed gondola up Little Cottonwood Canyon. It's Wednesday, March 8th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Fox 13's Capitol Hill reporter Ben Winslow, you always say that when it comes to most issues in our state, all roads lead to the Capitol. I'm going to name a problem. You tell me how the legislature tackled it, okay? Let's do it. This has got to be one of the biggest issues for Salt Lakers, housing and homelessness, of course. Salt Lake City says it needs more buy-in from the state and other cities to solve homelessness. What did the legislature tell the city this session? The legislature didn't so much tell Salt Lake City a lot during the session, Hmm. but it certainly told Utah, Davis, and other counties a lot during this session, especially when it comes to homelessness. There was a big omnibus homelessness bill, homeless services, and it told counties of the second class. So Salt Lake County is a county of the first class, very populated, and once you hit a population threshold, you become something like that. So these surrounding counties, it told them, you need to come up with a winter plan. What are you going to do for people who are experiencing homelessness? You don't necessarily have to build a shelter, but you need to have a plan for where you're going to put people who need to be off the streets, especially in events of extreme cold. And they pushed that through. They also passed something that I talked to some advocates for uh, people experiencing homelessness who are really excited. We have a code blue. This is basically a thing that in events of extreme weather, they can, uh, a health department can issue what's called a code blue. It allows shelters to expand beyond capacity so that they can Mm. put more people in there, get them out there. They also can't do camp abatements during that code blue. Other legislation that passed really was more in the form of money, Uh, Mm. a lot of money thrown toward housing and homeless services. Um, The housing thing, you know, we're going to have to see how that plays out because uh, a lot of it was dealing with housing supply. The more supply there is, the rent prices, the mortgage prices will drop. Uh, the Senate president personally ran a bill to offer a first-time homebuyer incentive program. Um, this is for new construction. A lot of these bills did center around new construction, increasing the supply of housing, cutting through a lot of the bureaucratic red tape as they viewed it. 
in order to get like, you know, projects approved, getting development going on. Um, and if you're wondering, you know, you're listening to this and thinking, hey, well, what about the water? Where are they going to get the water? They also passed a bill on that too that said that if you're going to develop a project, you got to come to the city and say, here's where our water's coming from. Uh, because right. it used to be the other way around. It used to be, we're building a project, the water, you got to give us the water, nuts to you. And there are a lot of developers on Capitol Hill. We know this. But a lot of them, yes. <laughs> a lot of them. So I'm not surprised to see them running bills that encourage development or could make it easier for first-time homebuyers to buy in new developments. As someone who would like to buy a home and is not a millionaire, I am really interested in this first-time homebuyer credit. It's $20,000 in the form of like a grant, right? But you have to, the, the home has to be less than, is it $435,000? I'm not sure on the particulars of where it ended up. Um, I was chasing 932 other bills too. <laughs> so, but yes, uh, there are some pretty strict terms also. Like if you turn around and try to flip it or sell it within mm. a certain amount of period, you got you, you owe it all back. Right. Okay. Interesting. I'm just going to go back and ask you a quick follow-up on the code. It's code blue, right? Yes. Who who can declare a code blue? I think it's the state health department. They the will monitor state. this. They'll coordinate with the state homelessness uh, coordinator, and um, they will issue one for a particular area, and that uh, frees up all of these uh, mechanisms. Mm, okay. And then, of course, let's, let's not forget, there was a lot of money thrown in this. The legislature had a lot of money to spend this year, and they spent it. Well, that <laughs> I mean, I feel like the story with the legislature is often that they have a lot of money and they— we don't spend all of it. Like, well, we didn't spend all of it. Let's let's okay. also be fair. The the legislature loves its rainy day funds, and yes. this was really important when it comes to taxes, because taxes was another big issue. Uh, Utah's been growing economically. We are a success story. We're doing really well. You hear that all the time, mm -hmm. especially from your elected leaders about how great Utah is and all of this stuff. When it came to taxes, that's where we really saw this play out. Uh, you had groups that saying, look, Utah's doing so well. You should give money back to the citizens of Utah who are working and making your state successful. Uh, what they passed on that one was a modest tax cut on the income tax. Uh, okay. We went from 4.85% to 4.65%. For those of you who aren't tax policy nerds like me, yeah, what that me. means is the average Utah family making an average salary is about $200 a year. Okay. Like okay. it's not it's 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 not, you know, enough it's it's enough to buy a nice dinner, but it's not like enough to, you know, like you're like I'm swimming in cash here. Uh legislative leaders told me you don't want to pass too deep of a tax cut because if you do have problems, you got to come back and raise taxes in order to keep essential government services going, and that's a bad look for everybody. It's harder to message, that's for sure. Although I will say I'm kind of pro taxes. It, this might be my like least interesting, <laughs> the least interesting thing about me. But I'm like, let's just pay our taxes, right? Like, I like paved roads. I like all. I like public education. I like all the things that our taxes fund. So, was there resistance to this tax cut at all from the people like me who are like, I don't know, don't you need the money to fund things? Absolutely, there was. There was yeah. a whole coalition of groups, including uh, Voices for Utah Children, uh, a number of groups who said, look, you have a lot of unmet needs that you have not fully funded. And yeah. you need to turn around and spend this money. Why don't you invest in this instead of a tax cut? Some of that, yeah, it fell on deaf ears. The budget story really was people got so 
some of what they wanted, but not all of what they wanted. Uh, but mm-hmm. there were a lot of investments in big things. Domestic violence, uh, victim services saw a huge increase in spending. Okay. Uh, but they held some back just to make sure if there is a recession or if there is uh, other problems that they don't have to come back and raise taxes down the road. It feels like every year there's a tax cut. And I my conspiracy theory is that <laughs> it's just easy to run on. Like because if it you're is, in the Utah legislature, <laughs> if you're a representative in the legislature, you're basically always running for office, right? You're on the ballot every 2 years. And so it's like being able to hit the streets and be like I cut taxes. It's like that feels like hard to resist. That's candy to an elected. <laughs> And, and people like it. People do. There were some changes to tax policy this year um, that do affect people directly. The earned income tax credit for lower income Utahns got expanded. And then, of course, there's the deal, which is what the legislature offered you, the voter, and you get to decide this. Uh, it is the legislature will remove the state portion of the sales tax on food. However, that is contingent upon voters in 2024 approving a constitutional amendment that is on the earmark for education. So the income tax is earmarked for education. Okay. Voters have previously approved a constitutional amendment allowing uh, that money to also be used for some social services. But the new deal is because the legislature sees what it calls budget volatility. Sales taxes pay for a lot of essential government services, roads, thing, you know, public safety, things like that. But the sales tax is a lot more volatile. People are also buying less goods, more services. So the income tax is viewed as a much more stable revenue source. Okay. What the deal is, is again, the legislature will remove the state portion of the sales tax on food if voters approve this constitutional amendment that is still the subject of negotiations, and it allows for the state to dip into that income tax fund to fund other government services so long, and this is where the negotiations are underway right now with education stakeholders, so long as education uh, has a funding framework that uh, at least the latest version of the deal is the bill still preserves the earmark for education. It also sets up a funding formula, but after that, the state can dip into that income tax fund and use it for other government needs. So this is going to be a 2024 ballot question, basically under the banner of education. Right. And it sounds like we're going to, it's going to be pretty contentious because I can see the line in the sand being drawn here. Well, so far, some education groups are jumping on board. Um, The State Board of Education, uh, superintendents have. The holdout right now is the Utah Education Association, which is the state's largest teachers union. This did pass out on the last day of the session, um, but everybody's agreed to keep talking. Everybody so far, the Utah Education Association says that it has no position on the legislation. That's because in April, they're going to take it to their members and, you know, have it out and determine where they stand on this this piece of, uh, of legislation. But again, you have until 2024. So you can come back in the interim and you can come back in the next session, the 2024 session, which starts in January, and you can still work on it. So in the meantime, we're paying food tax. 
You are for now. And okay. if voters approve this in 2024, the state portion of the sales tax on food gets removed. And it's the state portion. Local cities, counties still have that option to put that tax because some of them use it for things like, say, transportation funding. But that's been a really popular one with even Democrats on Capitol Hill. Uh, they've always wanted the state portion of the sales tax on food removed. Where they have the heartburn is they don't like these issues being tied together. We saw this happening with yeah. teacher salaries Feels and like the school choice deal. scholarship program. Program. They feel like it's a hostage situation, but uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill defend this saying, no, these are all the same issues. They should be discussed in tandem. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. It does feel like education is always a big, big topic at the legislature. Of course, schools are the heart and soul of our community and our neighborhoods. And in Utah, we have a lot of kids. We do. <laughs> so classrooms are always where it feels like the conversation heads. Now, public school classrooms are becoming sort of the eye of the storm in terms of cult the culture wars. And I want to know, did we see changes in what can be taught in classrooms coming off the Hill? There were a number of bills introduced, but not all of them made it. One bill did that dealt with, um, you know, curriculum instruction, what you can discuss, kind of pushing back on what they view as um, telling people that one race is superior to another or one race has been historically marginalized or inferior. What it looks like when it is implemented, if the governor signs this into law, 
We don't exactly know yet. That's kind of got to get hashed out at the uh, state board of education level. Communities of color, not really a fan of this legislation here. Don't They don't really like this stuff. And uh, But we did see other bills dealing with a diversity, equity, and inclusion where uh, members of communities of color showed up and the bills did not advance because, you know, people showed up and people spoke out and uh, those got sent to study in the interim. It doesn't mean they're going away. It just means that the legislation was not passing this year. What you will see is a lot of discussion in the coming months between now and the next legislative session about these topics. Yeah. I mean, in terms of talking about race in classrooms, it sounds like, to me, the legislature is saying, we don't want teachers talking about historical white supremacy. Is that? Because, like, the language is so watery. It's, like, hard to even understand what the point is. And and that seems to be what the legislation looks at is, is they want this idea that, that everybody is created equal, everybody should be treated equal. But that's where I think you see a lot of the pushback is, yes, but you know, America has a really messy history. And can we talk about that history? Can we talk about the civil rights movement? Can we talk about slavery and the Civil War? Can we talk about marginalizing different communities? And I think it's going to come down to, you know, what, what this policy ultimately looks like on the state board level. But this law did pass. We don't know if the governor is going to sign it yet. Yeah, that's that's frustrating stuff for teachers. I know we hear that from them a lot, that they're constantly looking over their shoulder to figure out what they can and can't teach in their classrooms. And that just makes an exhausting job so much more work. The, the UEA, I talked to Renee Pinckney, the president, on the last day of the session, and she said certainly they were uh, feeling great with the historic levels of funding that they got. Um, a lot of money was pumped into public education. I think this was a show of good faith by the legislature as they talk about this proposed constitutional amendment. But the UEA definitely does not like these message bills, and they say that it sends a message to educators and the education community for public education at large, we don't trust you. Mm -hmm. One last thing I would file under education, because this was something we heard talk about at the beginning of the session that I named on this show as being a bill I was excited about. Did working parents get full-day kindergarten? Are we going to be a full-day kindergarten state? We are. We did expand all-day kindergarten, and, and that was something that advocates, Voices for Your Child Children being a very prominent group that has been pushing for that, uh, among yeah. other education groups who've, who were just thrilled to see that pass. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. I mean, when we think about Utah's consistent ranking as one of the worst states for women, feels like full-day kindergarten, a step in the right direction there. So a lot of moms and dads hopefully will be happy about that. Before I let you go, I want to touch on transportation because in Salt Lake City, this is a big one for us. We loved our week of free fares during the All-Star Games. I know the governor wanted free fare for a year. Where did we land on funding public transit? You got nothing. Okay, sounds good. The bus left you behind. Okay. Um, (laughs) This was something the governor really wanted to see as a pilot program. Uh, We know that, you know, these free fare events have been successful in the past Mm -hmm. in terms of boosting ridership. That's what the data shows. The legislature just didn't see that. But they did budget money 
to uh, double-tracking frontrunner, commuter rail expansion there. Uh, the Senate president certainly would like to see the trains uh, be faster than cars because he thinks if you can do that, you will get more people into the trains. But when it came to transit, uh, the free fare did not get funded. It was it was mm. pretty much a non-starter from the beginning uh, with the legislature in the face of all the budget priorities they have. They also did pass an interesting tax bill. Uh, it, it lowered the gas tax slightly to give some relief at the pump for uh, drivers, uh, okay. but uh, it raised the tax for electrical vehicle charging stations. The free ride is over, EV users. What an interesting choice in an air quality problem state. <laughs> There's, It's nuanced, I guess you could okay. say. The complaint that I've heard the most about electric vehicles is not that anybody opposes electric vehicles on Capitol Hill. It's that they don't actually pay for the roads they use. The gas tax is earmarked for road repairs. I see. But so you have a lot of electric vehicles that are using the roads, but not necessarily paying for the roads. The potholes still got to be filled. And mm. so what uh, they proposed doing is they, they flirted with this idea of road user mile fees, uh, which tracks where you drive, how you drive, and kind of assesses a, a fee based upon that. Um, that's kind of still being discussed. It's being pilot programmed a little bit right now. But this was viewed as a way of certainly ensuring that electric vehicle users pay their fair shares for the roads that they actually use. Um, and the gas tax has been on declines for years. We've certainly seen that um, as people buy more fuel-efficient vehicles, as people buy hybrids, people go to electric vehicles. Um, they still got to pay for those road repairs. And, and that's kind of where legislative leaders landed with this particular piece of legislation. Interesting. Okay. So, but like the free EV charging stations that Salt Lake City runs that are downtown, those won't change or they will? They might. Uh, I don't know. It depends on how uh, the city chooses to do that. If the city just absorbs the tax, you know, through their budgetary means. And if it's a city run thing, let's face it, you're the taxpayer. You're ultimately paying for this at the end of the day. But um, or do they pass it on to the user, to the consumer? But um, certainly in the future, you will see charging stations imposing uh, a sales tax similar to what you'd pay at like a traditional gas station. OK, there are two big infrastructure projects related to transit that I think Salt Lakers are a little obsessed with right now. And I want to ask if we saw any movement on either of these at the legislature, because again, all roads lead there. The first is the Utah Department of Transportation's proposal to expand I-15, perhaps even into some Salt Lake neighborhoods. Was this discussed during the session? It really wasn't because the ball is in UDOT's court. Mm -hmm. They're still doing the assessments, the public impact statements, things like that. It doesn't, as near as I can tell, it, it hasn't reached the level of the legislature. So the road on that one hasn't gone all the way up to Capitol Hill. Okay. It's being built right now. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And then last, but certainly not least, the gondola. Any movement on the gondola? Because I feel like that's their kind of their baby right now. There was a little movement that I found in the budget on that, uh, in the sense you of... You sleuth. Well, I, I try to keep my eye on things, and, and yes, uh, this is what I do when I go home from work at night. I read the state budget. <laughs> there was uh, a funding allocation for Cottonwood Canyon's transportation. 
and that's what it was slugged, mm-hmm. Cottonwood Canyon's transportation. Uh, it sounds like this was money, and it was about, I believe, like $100 million, and it was basically allocated for the phase-in approach. Remember, the gondola was advanced, but then UDOT also recommended this phased-in approach that involves more uh, transit-friendly options, such as, uh, you know, the the increased bus services, okay. other ways to get people up there. It sounds like that's what the money is going for. Uh, you can certainly imagine that there are a number of groups that are watching what will happen next with that particular project. Um, so there is a budget line item, but it sounds like it is for trying other options before we get to Gondola. Fox 13 reporter Ben Winslow, you you never miss a beat during the legislative session. But I do think maybe when you get home, you should watch like Abbott Elementary. (laughs) (laughs) Something, right? (laughs) We are so grateful to you. I know this is an exhaustive amount of work. You certainly deserve a little R&R. Thank you for your time and your expertise. Thank you for having me. Here's a great question. When do all these bills go into effect? Now, for anything that gets tied up in court, who knows? But the general rule is 60 days after the legislature adjourns, unless the bill itself specifies a different date. So early May is when we should start to see things getting implemented. There are two last pieces of legislation I want to mention before we go, because I've talked about them on this show before. First, a bill related to the practice of condom stealthing. It's when a sexual partner removes their condom in the middle of intercourse. It has the same implications as any sexual assault, and 12% of women have experienced it. But currently, it's not considered sexual battery under Utah's criminal code. Republican Senator Mike McKell was hoping to change that with SB 178, but it died in committee. Now here's another one, also from Senator Mike McKell, that did pass— SB 247, Medical Malpractice Amendments. Currently, sexual assault cases against healthcare workers hold less water in court because they're filed under medical malpractice, not basic criminal code. This bill reforms medical malpractice law to exclude sexual assault. It doesn't change anything for the 94 Utah women suing one Utah County OBGYN for assault. That case was already thrown out. And the bill isn't retroactive, but it changes the future. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. If you listen to this show on Spotify, will you give us five stars, please? Thank you. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. See you later. Salt Lake.